The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Presenting Season 8, Collision. Hold Heart, Part 1. Written by Mercedes Lackey and Cody Martin. Although the days were growing colder, the Seraphim still resorted to her perch of choice, the faux Greek temple atop one of Atlanta's skyscrapers, for most of her waking hours. It was, despite being within eyeshot of the revolving restaurant atop the Weston Hotel, the only place where she knew where she was guaranteed privacy. It was much harder to think in this physical body. She could not shut out the thoughts and emotions of people nearby as easily as she once could, and could not merely ignore someone who was trying to physically get her attention. Privacy, in the CCCP base, was non-existent. She felt herself an intruder in Vicky's apartment. This was the only place that was solely hers. Near at hand, the pillars and plinths showed the wear and abuse of pollution and weather much more than they did at a distance, which obscurely attracted her. Like her, they were not what they once had been. All of the pieces had fallen together at last, and she could see what had only been a fragmented puzzle. She was still alive, and John Murdoch had only half her powers, because holding all of her abilities too soon would have driven him mad, as Matthew March had been driven mad. Only when he had mastered those abilities her sacrifice had given him would she be free. Free to die, and make him the synthesis of human and celestial that he was meant to be, in order to find the way for humans to win against the Thulians without sacrificing what it meant to be human. He would never be able to see all of the potential futures, she suspected, nor have access to all of the collective memories of the past, that was still more information that a human brain was capable of processing. But he would have enough. And he would have what she did not. That spark of creativity that was able to look at two options and see a third. The fact that he would never be her John, the man she had come to love so very deeply, was, in the larger view, irrelevant. It was, in fact, relevant only to her, and she was still an instrument, if not an instrument. Her wishes, her longings, her loss, well, they meant nothing in the face of the reality that humanity was going to be obliterated and enslaved, the planet destroyed, and a vast swath of other worlds obliterated, if a way was not found to avert the Thulian conquest of this little globe. Averting it was why she was here in the first place, how criminal would she be if she allowed these human emotions to subvert her duty? But she was human, or metahuman, now, and she had to reinforce her will against her emotions on a daily, sometimes hourly basis. And there was no denying that it hurt. It hurt. Sometimes so much that she did not know how she was going to bear it. Could not speak could not think, could not breathe. Even at this very moment, the grief was building, and her throat and chest were so tight they hurt. And of course, as ever, 
in the midst of her own emotional maelstrom, her calm went off. John didn't enjoy the quiet the way he used to. He couldn't appreciate it the same. In the past, downtime between missions had been when he could decompress, unwind, and figure things out. He would find a quiet corner in the barracks and lose himself in a book or some other menial task. It was the closest thing to what some folks called Zen that he had ever experienced. Since he had... come back, he couldn't get to that spot any more. John knew that it wasn't just the war. He'd been fighting for as long as he could remember, or getting ready to fight. He was a soldier through and through, so that wasn't what bothered him. While his new comrades were strange in ways he couldn't begin to describe, they weren't the cause of this unease either. He had become used to even old man there, or at least as used to the bastard as anyone could get. What really had been bothering him were the noises in his head. He knew he wasn't crazy, though people said the first sign of being crazy was that you thought you weren't. Despite that, John thought that he wasn't, although he had banged his head against plenty of surfaces in his time patrolling or running missions with the CCCP, not to mention his former career in the Army, head trauma didn't usually make you crazy. Besides, his symptoms didn't exactly match any mental illness he knew of. In truth, it had all started so small and innocuously that he couldn't place exactly when it had begun. Of course it had to have been after his rebirth, or whatever you would call it. There had been no mention of the occurrences in his journal, and sounds in his head were definitely something he would have included. It had started as breaths, whispers, things he could have put down to the echoes of his own thoughts, little tricks of light and shadow in the corners of his vision. Then one day it had built up to the point that he couldn't help but notice it was there, and now it was only growing in intensity. Sometimes it was a voice, murmuring too quietly to make out the words. Mostly it was music, strains of something alien yet wholly familiar. The song was always distant, just out of reach. If he started to pay attention to it, it would slip away, a fading echo. The music came and went, but as of late it was coming more frequently. What could that mean? John could accept that there were aliens, that there were Nazis in powered armor with insanely advanced technology who were bent on world domination. He had awakened as a metahuman, missing several years of his memory. There were a lot of things he could accept after that. But this, he couldn't make sense of it. It was a problem he couldn't find a solution to. How could you find an answer to something if you didn't even know what the question was in the first place? John was using one of his rare moments of downtime to clean his weapons and sharpen his knives. It had been some time since he'd actually had any downtime. Luckily, it looked like the commissar had found a new whipping boy, at least for the moment. Probably bear. This exercise, something he could do without even thinking about it, had always been something that relaxed him, but now he was running into the same problem. Thinking about the music. It wasn't the music so much that bothered him, but rather when it seemed to pick up the most. Namely, 
when he was around Sarah. He had been reaching out to her, trying to find a middle ground so that they could at least have some sort of dialogue about what had happened to him. He knew he was asking a lot of her, but what choice did he have? She was one more key to what had happened to him. Plus, they kept on getting paired together as the two odd men out within the CCCP. Him for his memory loss, and her for, well, being her. She no longer fled when he came near, but she was still cold and distant. John didn't mind some people hating him. He could deal with that easily enough, since most anyone that hated him probably wasn't worth the time to think about for him. But with her, it was different. He needed her to be okay with him. Maybe not friends, but not however things were between them now. Especially with the music, and how it always seemed to pick up around her. John was sharpening the huge bowie knife that a patrol he had been a part of had taken from a reb called Bad Bowie when the call came in. Comrade Murdoch! Gamayun's voice came through John's internal calm with a burst of static. Report to breathing room with Comrade Sarah. With a sigh, John set down the knife and sharpening stone before gathering up the rest of his gear and setting off at a trot. Sarah was already there, sitting on a backless stool, wings pulled in so tightly to her body that it made his back muscles ache in sympathy. He'd noticed of late that her wings were a more accurate barometer of her emotional state than her face. Nervous, and she flicked them. Alarmed, and they half spread and trembled, as if she was about to take off. Tense, and she pulled them in tightly to her body, the way she was doing now. Exhausted, or depressed, and they drooped. He paused for a second at the entrance to the briefing room, shrugging on his vest over the nanoweave suit. What I miss? He glanced around. Savior and Unter were absent, which was odd. It was just him and Sarah. Nothing, sport, Victrix said in his ear. I needed a screen. Seraphim isn't wired up the way you are. Oh, well, fire away, comrade kiddo. John leaned against the back wall, folding his arms across his chest. The large LCD screen, another piece of echo largesse, at the business end of the briefing room lit up. Here's what I have. Some activity on Thulean freaks I triangulated here. The map showed a red spot. Combined with minor seismic disturbance. I think someone is excavating something. Maybe a buried sleeper cell? You know, the kind that produces a pop-up. It's in CCCP territory, and so far this is all new, 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 like within the last 24 hours, so chances are it won't need more than the standard size patrol unit to squash. I passed on the info to RS. She nominated and assigned you two. Pop-ups. Those were the shorthand for attacks that just popped up in the middle of cities. A lot of them came from smallish units of Thulean armor that had been buried in place. Presumably the operators infiltrated, looking like ordinary Joes, found the hatch or other access to the storage area, climbed into the armor, and set out to make trouble. And they did make trouble, all out of proportion to their size, creating chaos and terror until they were taken down. The effect was there were no safe areas, 
Seemingly, everyone was kept on edge, because you never knew quite where or when the Kriegers would send one of their suicide squads. More things came up on the screen. Diagrams of Thulian power armor, Thulian wolves, and Thulian eagles, with their vulnerable points helpfully indicated. Since you two are firepowers, you're the logical choice. Lucky you. We've never seen a death sphere with a pop-up, but if you get one, call for help pronto. So, check it out. Find out what we can. Burn anything that looks at us sidelong. Got it. You opping us for this one? 10-4. You both speak it English makes it easier in Gamayun. Besides, I have my bag of tricks if you run into trouble. She doesn't. John slapped a buckle on his boots, making sure it was tight. Let's hope we don't need him. He looked to Sarah. Ready to roll out? The seraphim nodded. You must exert yourself, John Murdoch, she said with a very faint air of, what, disappointment? Rebuke? Like she wanted this to be a bigger, more dangerous mission? Or something else? You are not using a quarter of your abilities. You must master them. You should have done so by now. Ah, then. It was something else. You're not living up to your full potential, Mr. Murdoch. He was reminded of several of his teachers when he was in primary school. Do my best, ma'am. Don't want to burn the whole hood down, though. He stood up from the wall, stretching. Anything else, Vic? Hunter's already fixed you up with an Earl and a loadout. You get one of the new RPGs with the incendiary loads in case you get a sphere. Don't waste it, okay? You'll set fire to half a block with one if you aren't careful, and the charges each cost more to make than you're worth in parts. I'll guide you and Sarah in. Roger that. Let's get on with it. This had to be the most wrecked part of a destruction corridor that John had ever seen, and that was surely saying something given how bad Atlanta had been hit. He hoped that whoever had been in here during Invasion 1 had been smart and run the hell away, because no one could have survived what had gone on here. Most destruction corridors were caused by one or two powered armor suits. Unopposed or at least without effective resistance, they could carve entire swaths out of crowded cities. This one, though. At least a squad of Krieger-armored troopers had to have moved through this area, with maybe a death sphere following. It was sickening and awe-inspiring at the same time that so few could wreak so much havoc. Vic, you got any info on this area? This place is toast. What's the area like that we're going into? The lock is what used to be Carver High School, built circa 1911. Closed down circa 1982 because it was too expensive to keep repaired. There used to be a fallout shelter in the basement. I'm betting that's where your targets are. In the upper left corner of his vision, a picture of what looked like a gigantic pile of brick and boards popped up. That's what the Kriegers left of it. No one knows why they bothered wrecking it since there's a ten-foot-tall fence around it. Because, you know, goddess forbid that homeless squatters get some shelter. Maybe they figured on keeping people out to keep what they had down there safe. What's this destruction corridor on track to? 
I didn't think that there were any echo transmitters in this part of town. Negative. This is one of those cases where we don't know why they came through and leveled the place. From here, they joined the wrecking crew on the ring. Roger. John swung off the Earl. The RPG with the new warhead was in a locked case that was bolted to the gear rack. He really didn't feel like going up against a death sphere today. If one showed up, it would have meant that he and Sarah had really stepped into it, and backup was minutes away. Minutes away, when seconds counted for everything. There was a sound like thunder just behind him, and a wash of air hit him in the back. He turned to see Sarah, wings beating furiously, touching down in a slightly clearer spot on the pavement, right foot extended. She folded her wings immediately as soon as both feet were on the ground, and sheathed herself in fire. John was aware that the music had started up again, but did his level best to ignore it. Not that it was easy. It seemed to invade his very thoughts, always coming back to Sarah. And he didn't like it a single goddamned bit. We're probably going underground. Old Cold War fallout shelter, a bunker, forgotten and sealed off. We're going to want to watch the fires down there. Not a lot of oxygen. Also probably a lot of shit that can burn. Very well, she said, and the fire vanished. She looked very vulnerable without it. If space is restricted, I will be at a disadvantage. The wings occupy a great deal of space. If we get into any sort of trouble that we can't handle with more conventional means, we'll back out and take it outside. This destruction corridor stretches for a good long way. No need to worry about civvies wandering into the crossfire. As you will, she said, without inflection. Heads up, Chillin. I found the entrance. It will be of no surprise to you, given they either want it out or in, that although they have done a crack-up job of hiding it, you can get to it. J.M., it's on your HUD. Sarah, follow him. John started climbing through the rubble. It was rough going for certain parts. With this section abandoned, there wasn't as much of a rush for cleanup. They reached their destination a few dozen yards later. A large mound of rubble, supposedly the remnants of the school. Highlighted on the HUD were two large weathered metal doors set in concrete recessed into the ground, with more rubble piled around it. It reminded John of tornado cellars that he had seen. Cellar doors. External access to the school cellar, probably used for bringing in coal for the furnace and boiler. Ooh, you smell that? John almost gagged. The scent was so strong. I don't get smell-o-vision, sport, Vicky quipped as Sarah shook her head. Smells like burnt cinnamon and ass. That's being kind. He glanced over to Sarah. Definitely Kriegers, right? I believe they have a particular scent that humans find faintly distasteful, yes, Sarah replied before Vicky could. I am never aware of it, as my fire always purifies any air that reaches my nose. But she bent down and reached for the handle of the door nearest her. 
John stopped her short. Hey, let me go first. I'm wearing nano-weave and the vest to boot. Plus, I've got my sidearm. If we need to go loud, it'll work out better that way. Getting baked to death or asphyxiated doesn't really strike me as a great way to go. Okay? He grinned lopsidedly to soften the rebuke. As you will, Sarah said, stepping aside. Baby steps, Murdoch. Take it slow, like you would with a wounded animal. You know, it would help if you let me unlock it first. Although the sight of you heaving the door handle off would be highly amusing. And here I thought that you were on top of it and had unlocked it while we were walking up. Gotta catch up, Teen Witch. It's a mechanical lock, Brainiac. Electronic I can do almost instantly if I know the lock. Mechanical takes time. He thought he could hear her muttering under her breath. His ultra-sensitive hearing definitely picked up small sounds of metal moving, then the sound of something larger sliding. There. Unlocked and unbolted. Have that. Make an entry. John unholstered his 1911, doing a quick press check to make sure a round was chambered. Satisfied, he nodded to Sarah, then lifted the left door of the entrance. He stepped through the threshold, moving down into the darkness. His eyes adjusted instantly due to his enhancements. There wasn't any illumination, initially, save for the low sunlight streaming in. Which didn't actually help, as it illuminated everything in the entrance and made it hard to see what was still in shadow. The room was full of garbage, mostly. Piles of unidentifiable papers spilling out of disintegrated boxes and assorted trash— a few scattered and decaying desks. It was easy to see where the boiler and furnace had once been. It looked as if they must have been hauled out for salvage, leaving behind cut-off pipes that probably led to the restrooms and the steam radiators. John was surprised some enterprising soul hadn't gotten down here and started hauling out those copper pipes. They were worth a lot as far as scrap metal went. There were several civil defense posters adorning the walls, only the metal ones were vaguely readable past the rust and grime. The nearest end of the room had what appeared to be a collapsed stairwell, choked with rubble. On the far end, however, was a single metal door, with a painted sign that he could barely make out as saying, Shelter. He hadn't seen any obvious booby traps or intrusion detection devices. Since Vicky hadn't said anything, he could only assume that there weren't any or, at least, any that either of them could detect. That uncertainty wasn't the most pleasant of feelings. That's our only way down. Stay behind me. If we have to move out in a hurry, we'll both start burning and go for the surface. Sound good to you, Sarah? As you will, she repeated. John frowned a little. This was getting monotonous waiting for her to be ready to interact with him like a normal human being and not this current funk that she was in was all well and good, but they were on the job right now. To hell with that. We're partners on this, Sarah. If you get a better idea about something, I want you to voice your opinion. It could mean the difference between life and death for us. I'm not always right, you know, okay? He glanced back. She just shrugged. 
I have no knowledge. Well, I do. There is a lot more void behind that door than there should be. Damn it, I knew I should have kept a piece of Krieger armor with me to help me ID stuff. There's also something alive in there, but I can't tell how many or what without getting eyes in there. John's HUD lit up. A spectral outline of the space beyond swam into his vision, a projection from Vic. There was something room-shaped beyond the door, then what looked like a corridor, then another, much larger space. That's what I have, and everything from that corridor on is not on the original plans. Someone's been expanding. Can't imagine that the foundations for this joint were all that great in the first place. If in the Kriegers have been digging under them, no telling how they are now. It's Germans, Bonehead. They'll have reinforced anything they put in, and I'm assuming it's them. Shit coming down is going to be the last of your worries. Every bit of everything Krieger I've seen defines the word overbuilt. Whatever. If it is Krieger's, then that'll hold. Whoever it is, they've gone to a little trouble to stay hidden, and that means they've got to deal with us now. Be ready with your tricks in any case. Victrix, Sarah began. Roger, Sarah? Can you count the number of feet on the ground and divide by two? That will give you the number of booleans. Sarah glanced at John for his... approval? He grinned, nodding. She's using her noggin, all right. Baby steps. Brilliant, yes. I can even pick up armor. It just takes a little longer. Stand by. There was a pause. John thought he could hear faint noises on the other side of that door, but not what those noises were. That door must have been pretty damned thick to futz with his hearing. This might have been a genuine fallout shelter, not one of the feel-good models that wasn't going to do squat in the event of a nearby bomb. Something with filters on the air supply, and a real blast door. Wonder which muckety-muck lived nearby back then that got this shelter upgraded, he thought inconsequentially. That, or the Kriegers have been doing some interior decorating. On the door itself, however, there was an extremely faint sound of metal sliding on metal. Okay. Door unlocked. I read seven sets of jackboots on the ground, Vix began. Affirmative. Seven JBTs inside. He was cut off by the wail of what was unmistakably a small child in distress. He and Sarah shared a single alarmed glance before they both started moving. In one motion, John threw the heavy door aside, his pistol already out and looking for a target. Sarah manifested both her fire sword and spear, and followed right behind him, darting to his right as soon as there was room. In front of them were the seven Kriegers along with a dozen more, all in trooper armor standing on catwalks, off the ground, and a single mechanical wolf at the far end of the room, apparently digging to expand the shelter. The child, undoubtedly one of the childhood kids, was on his knees on the floor, one of the unarmored Kriegers pointing a gun at his head. Everyone in the room turned to look at the pair, including the wolf. And smaller sign, a dozen troopers, and something big. Mia Fats? 
The Krieger pointing the gun at the child's head grimaced and then tensed, looking back at his target. John and Sarah moved almost simultaneously. John fired three quick rounds, all striking the Krieger with the ray gun in the upper neck and head, dropping the invader cold. He started moving forward, firing at the next threat nearest to the child. But Sarah was moving too, diving with wings half-spread to cover the child with her body. Get the boy clear! John had already holstered his pistol. Time to quit screwing around. He ignited both of his arms, sheathing them in flame. Wherever he pointed, flame followed, alighting whatever it touched. He made especially sure that he was avoiding the area in the center with Sarah and the child. With her left arm, Sarah had scooped the child up. Her right still held her fire sword, and since she was on her knees in mid-turn, she lopped a rushing Krieger off at the thigh as she pivoted. As soon as she was facing the door, she pushed off like a sprinter, wailing child bundled under her left arm like a parcel. John brought up the rear. The Kriegers had started collecting themselves. Those that weren't dead or dying shot back. Energy gun fire for the most part, but one blast that went wild could only have been from a trooper arm cannon. He ran after Sarah and the child, stopping at corners to send a few more blasts of flame to dissuade pursuit. The Kriegers were getting a little more cautious as they kept losing people. Finally, they broke through the cellar door to the surface, the sunlight almost blinding after the near-complete darkness. Both he and Sarah turned, ready. John, take him! Sarah cried out, simultaneously throwing the poor kid right at him. John grabbed the boy in his left arm, already knowing what Sarah meant to do. Together! Now! John, shifting so that the child was further away from the entrance, concentrated for a split second, collecting fire on his right arm. Sarah planted herself right in the side of the entrance and turned into a living torch, setting the entire entrance afire while she swung at the supports with her sword. It was as if she was able to read his mind. The instant he was ready to blast, she jumped clear. With a small grunt of effort, he loosed the concentrated plasma right at the point that she had weakened. The fire drove the Thulians back into the basement, keeping them from piling out into the open. They were learning. Fire equals bad. Jump clear, you two! The blast, in addition to driving the Kriegers back into the ground where they belonged, finished the job of collapsing the entrance. Sarah extinguished her shielding fire, snatched the wailing child out of John's arms, and took to the air, leaving John to scramble backward toward the fence. His speed was the only thing that saved him. He was within two steps of it when the ground heaved and shook. He turned, grabbing for the fence with one hand, to see the entire mound of rubble that had been the high school cave inward. Vix had collapsed the first floor and the basement supports, bringing it all down on the Kriegers. Sarah sat down outside the fence, putting the child down on his feet. She took his chin in her hand and looked him straight in the eyes. Run, she ordered forcefully. The boy took off running, moving so fast John would have suspected metapower if he didn't have first-hand experience at how quickly a motivated child could move. Vic? John breathed, sharing a nod with Sarah that they were both okay. 
I'm hoping you've scrambled the cavalry by this point. This ain't as small of a problem as we initially thought. Asked in Synthasset, she said with feeling. No lie, yes, I have. A very faint smile crossed Sarah's face and vanished as quickly as it had come. John grinned, chuckling. What's tickling you, Angel? Nothing. Not really. Just Victrix's use of invective is... colorful, if unlikely. Behind them, John heard the sound of bricks grating on each other, then the ceramic chinks as they tumbled down the pile. Slowly, and with a growing sense of dread, he stepped out from behind the fence, facing the rubble where the school used to be. Yet then he brought! That one he knew from hanging out with Pavel. She'd switched to Russian. The pile of bricks was moving. Hey, Vic, ETA on that backup. Not soon enough. That's what I figured. John ignited both of his hands, settling into an easy stance. Light on his feet, ready to move. He looked over to Sarah. Well, you wanted me to push my limits, right? I'm thinking we're about to find out what they are. You ready for this? She lofted back over the fence, half flight, half jump, landed beside him, lit up like a torch again, and nodded grimly. The ground continued to tremble, shifting debris and rubble almost rhythmically. Without any warning, all of the vibrations stopped. Three tenths seconds later, the collapsed area where the school had been erupted in a fountain of bricks, dust, and pieces of rebar. As the dust cleared, John and Sarah saw the top half of the mechanical wolf exposed through a hole in the ground. It wriggled frantically in place before dislodging itself, dragging its lower half out of the ground. All twelve of the armored troopers followed it out of the hole, spreading out in a semicircle in front of the two CCC peers. There was a steady stream of whispered curses in his ear. Some of it he recognized as Russian, from listening to Untermensch as he worked on the Earls. Your crystal ball, Sam, were screwed, blued, and tattooed? Eight ball doesn't work that way. Let's just say I do not care for the odds. But we've seen worse. Hey! John shouted to the armored troopers, still ponderously moving into position. Y'all pissed off that under-officer Affenschwanz couldn't get his rocks off today by wasting a kid? The master race that easy to bend over a barrel? Perfection. Pure poetry. Where'd you learn German? I didn't. But I have been hanging out with Red far too much. You have been listening to Collision, Season 8 of the Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series. Season 8 is written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Music is Exciting Trailer by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast is narrated and produced by Veronica Jaguer and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. 
the fourth book, Collision, is available in print and ebook in December 2014 from the amazing people at Bayon Books. For more information about the series or to listen to earlier seasons, check out www.secretworldchronicle.com. Want to chat with the authors and fellow SWC fans? Join the Secret World Chronicle group on Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening.